This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by the Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. See the side art, feel the controls, and hear Dexy's Midnight Runners on the stereo. But when I'm visiting the Chicago area, do I drag around my own heavy arcade games and put all that effort into keeping them running just so I can have retro fun? Come on, I lean on the Underground Retrocade to do that for me. 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Carrington Vanston. And I'm Mike McGinnis. And this is No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. And we're recording this about two days after the last episode went up. Actually, less than that. That went up yesterday, didn't it? It went up hours ago. Of course, technically everything was hours ago, even like hundreds of thousands of years ago. It can be hours. Just a lot of them. Um, But yeah, less than two days ago because we had some audio difficulties, but then they were pretty much kind of sorted. Good enough to post people get their money's worth yes you you saved our canadian bacon uh was it me i think it was a joint effort you say you saved two well the audio that i had at my end of things was unusable well it was a joint effort with you trying to make it bad <laughs> oh well in that case good. we succeeded wildly <laughs> we were technically both putting effort in no it's just finicky stuff when it comes to podcasting and the various ways that Mike and I record, we both record ourselves locally and then also record each other over Skype as backups. And yet, even with all of that, even with four recordings going at once, we still ran into a problem. Such is the level of professionalism that we bring to the table. <laughs> I'm going to blame either my microphone or the, the upgrade to Mavericks on my MacBook. I refuse to accept responsibility that there was anything that I did, so I'm, I have to blame something else. I'm totally with you, man. Well, now, now the fact that I'm using a Windows laptop, I'm still going to blame Mavericks. Just because it exists. And the fact that I'm on a Mac using Mavericks. <laughs> so, But still, we will blame it. Yeah, sure, sure. So we're trying something different this time. So we will see. And we've got a new game to talk about. we got a little tiny bit of feedback because it's only been a couple of days since the show was posted. And we'll still be bringing the goods. Give me the goods, Carrington. <laughs> the goods. Hmm, let's see what's good. Oh, you know what's good? That's my segue. What's good is Quinn Dunkey has finished her arcade cabinet. We gushed on a few episodes ago about the arcade controller that she built. She has now made that the central part of a full cabinet. And it's not in the traditional form of a cabinet. It's um, a little more extruded aluminum looking. Very, very cool. I love these new takes on arcade cabinets. So she calls it the Blondie Cab, very aptly named. What I was most excited about it, well, partly there's that whole the stuff we talked about before with the coin buttons and all the awesomeness of the control that I'm so jealous about. But she used 8020, which is a material that I used just a week and a bit ago to build myself a new desk out of. And I'm really excited about 8020, and I wasn't sure anybody else knew about it. <laughs> so I think it's really cool that she used that material. It's awesome. More things should be built out of that, I think. I agree. You agree? Cool. <laughs> we're, both, we're both on board with the 8020. Yes, I'm all right with that. What I didn't like about it was that halfway through the really crazily detailed and cool page she posted about how she built it, 
she talks about how, of course, the way to get this stuff is to go on eBay because 8020 runs their own little eBay store there. You can buy things cheaper. Gosh, I wish I knew that a couple weeks ago because <laughs> I just got mine from Granger and it's very expensive. I spent more than I should have. Oh, well. But it's a really super cool cab and we'll have a link to it in the show notes for people who have been following this story of, of its building. What else did we get feedback wise? Micah Rooney. That's my new name for you. Obviously, last week we did play a game, and uh, like I said, we got the uh, podcast up a few hours ago, and Rob O'Hara commented on our Facebook post saying, uh, sorry, what? I was over at my friend's place playing games, and he has posted a photo of somebody else's Major Havoc cabinet. It's one of the remaining units from the original 300 with the side-to-side swipe on it that uh, I guess is very hard to, to come by, so I am very jealous of you, Rob, and you are banned from the show. <laughs> I am very jealous as well, because not only... Is there one of those original Major Havoc cabinets, which I would love to have, but sitting right beside it is, oh, a Tron cabinet, because, hey, why not have everything? I want Rob's friends to be my friends. I'm very jealous. Lim on Facebook asked us about Popeye. Did you see that? Yes, he posted a picture of a Popeye's Louisiana kitchen in Singapore and was asking if that's the same one that that we mentioned in the Popeye episode. You know, I don't know. Ultra Magnus would probably be able to better answer that question. I think it is, but I don't really know Popeye's chicken well enough. I was bothered in the photo where it says it's a Louisiana kitchen thing. It says Popeye's, but no apostrophe. So just like with ghosts and goblins, here we have another missing apostrophe. Basically, I'm getting really upset about all these missing apostrophes. Let me see. What else did we get? Oh, Last week, we were talking about how sometimes when people win things that we give away, they don't get it. (laughs) We do our best. We pay for it. We hope it gets sent out. Eh, but maybe it doesn't arrive. Our most recent giveaway, where Sean won the Blu-ray of the Space Invaders movie given by our sponsor, he did definitely get it. And there is even video proof. So they have posted a a very short clip on YouTube with Sean actually holding the Blu-ray, standing in the arcade, and proof that sometimes people actually do get the stuff that they win from us. And I like that they did a little joke on, I guess there was something with MTV or something where it says people really win on MTV something like that. So what he says is people really win on NQP, which would be the No Quarter podcast. But very cool that somebody actually received something that we tried to give to them. Oh, but you know what? Speaking of Rob, nice Rob. We like Rob. He and his throwback network, there's a few people over there, have embraced us. They come to us with open arms like Journey. We, you and me, Mike, are now part of the throwback network. So people can go to throwbacknetwork.net and it's a collection of various podcasts that, and it sort of aggregates them. And they're all ones that have to do with retro-y, throwback-y stuff. So we fit right in. These are, these are our peeps. But what about our other corporate masters over at the Real Retro Junkies? We have multiple masters and they will soon fight shirtless to Star Trek music. Dun, 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 dun. I was hoping you would do more of that song. Okay. Now, that's that's great news. I'm glad to, to hear that. And it's sort of a funny thing because our shows are, are public domain, so technically anybody could do whatever they wanted with the shows, but we get mm-hmm. emails asking for permission to post the stuff anyway. So I have found, because I'm a huge fan of public domain and giving things away, and sure. I really push for that, because why not? And I just think it's awesome. I do find that in general, like all my podcasts have always been public domain stuff, if I can make them that way. I still find that people, for the most part, come and ask permission to say, hey, I want to do this or what have you, just because people are generally cool about stuff. Speaking of games. Yes. What have we got? I think we have a new game to talk about this week. 
We do. And it starts with C, and then it's got another C, and it's Cosmic Chasm. I really don't know where I was going with that C stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is Cosmic Chasm, another vector game. Can you sense a trend here, ladies and gentlemen? We're doing a vector month, aren't we? We are. That's very cool. I think we are doing Vectvember? No vector? Something? <laughs> What is that thing that somebody suggested a few months ago? Yes, I think that was uh, Egan Ford, actually, David Jerk, and it was more than a few months ago. It was last year when he recommended that we do something like that. Well, we finally got around to it because it's a great idea. So we're trying to do a month. We'll see if we keep it up. So far, we've done two. We're trying to do a month of Vector Games, and this is Vector Game number two, which is Cosmic Chasm, a game I had never played before. Come in, Earth. This is the mothership of the Cosmic Chasm space station. Our station has been seized by a hostile force. We cannot reclaim, so we must destroy. We are launching one of our smallest ships to maneuver through the tunnels in the chasm of the station. Our mission is to reach the central power core, destroy it, and then flee the way we came before we too are destroyed. Wish us well in the Cosmic Chasm. Cosmic Chasm, this is Earth. Too bad. We're on holiday. Can't help. So I read that, and this may be true, this may not be true, who knows? And if it's wrong on Wikipedia, I won't put any effort into changing (laughs) it. But I've read that this was a game that actually was on the Vectrex first. Like, I knew it was a Vectrex game only in that I've seen the title for Vectrex. And it was a Vectrex game, but then it got ported to the arcade instead of the other way around. Does that jibe with what you think happened? It jibes with the main info file that I'm reading from that I will claim credit for coming up with on my own, even though I didn't. It says this title was first available in 1982 on the CGE Vectrex home console licensed by Cinematronics and was only available in the arcades later on in February of 1983. Okay, right in middle of the crash. This was the last color vector game released by Cinematronics. Only 400 units were produced, which may be why I had never heard of this game. Wow, that's very few units being made as well. When I think of Cinematronics, I think of the Laserdisc games. Like, to me, they're the company behind, you know, Space Ace and Dragon's Lair. But I guess they're really mostly known for doing vector games. They had a long line of vector games, and this is among the last. They say the last color one, but as far as I know, it might be the last one of all. Because for a a few years before this, from the late 70s on, they were pumping out vector games. And I think this one, we'll get to the chips and the cabinet and stuff later. And I think there was like an actual CPU here, but I'm pretty sure their early games, like when you're dealing with Space War and stuff, they don't actually use a CPU. It's all those logic gate thingies cobbled together. I think they used a totally different sort of tech. I don't know. When we talk about one of those games in future episode, I'll actually do some research. <laughs> but for now, this game... <laughs> Like, right away, this game reminded me of Omega Race, because it's a spinner-based vector game. It's pretty fast-moving. You've got a thrust, and you've got a shooting, and you've got a shield, and did it remind you of Omega Race or other games as well? When I first saw it, I thought of it. There was an Apple II game called Orbitron. Oh, yeah. I know Orbitron. It actually has nothing to do with this game, and is nothing like it. (laughs) But you were just thinking about it? I was thinking about chicken. So, (laughs) pretty much. (laughs) Nothing to do with this at all. This one has... I love sounding like I don't know what I'm talking about because I really don't. There's this thing in in the middle of the space that you start in and all these little other ships come flying out of a corner at you and you shoot them. And the idea is that you're supposed to shoot your way through them and make it to the exit before the thing in the middle expands and crushes you. Yeah, because the thing in the middle does expands. It expands kind of quick, I found sometimes. You can slow it down if you shoot the thing in the middle. I found it would slow down its expansion. 
And it certainly picks up speed when you blow up all of the little ships. Then it really picks up speed. So sometimes it's easier to leave one just kind of floating around and chasing you because they try to chase you down. I suck at this game. See, it's bad advice. You shouldn't leave any of them alive. Why is that? Because once you destroy the reactor in the middle, you have to race back out of this stupid space station, and you're given a very little time as this sort of chain reaction explosion comes out from the middle, and your shield stops working once you blow up the reactor. I don't know why your shield would stop working, but it does. So you no longer have like that protection. You've got to get out as fast as possible. So I found getting rid of all the bad guys was key to try to get out of this stupid place. And I never made it that far into the game, so I, I don't actually know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't either. I made it about halfway through the first maze. Normally, when we podcast, I'm the Pollyanna who thinks everything's great, all games are wonderful, la la la. And Mike is the more level-headed, reasonable fellow who can point out the problems with games. I have serious problems with this game. Now, I enjoyed it. I still like it. I would recommend people to try it. But there are some major issues. There's major issues with the design of this game, with the plot of this game. So here's one problem. The plot of this. Let me open up the flyer that promoted... Oh, first of all, speaking of the flyer... Cinematronics puts out a flyer for this game, and the slogan is, fill the chasms of your coin boxes with cosmic earnings. (laughs) Here's the plot as described, like, what's going on. Because we've said, like, you got this spaceship, and you got to race to the middle, blow up the reactor, and get back out. So here's the plot that they say is going on. The Cosmic Chasm space station has been seized by a hostile enemy force. Your mission... Maneuver your ship through the tunnels and chasms of the station to the central power core. Destroy the core and escape, retracing your path to the point of entry before the chain reaction explosions destroy the entire station. Success in this mission will lead you to 23 new and greater challenges. Here's my problem. If this enemy force has invaded the station, presumably the station is either yours or a good thing, and your mission is go in and blow it up. Well, that doesn't make any sense at all. Why are you blowing up your own space station? Why wouldn't you just go in and kill all the bad guys and not blow up the middle thing? doesn't make any sense at all. I also have a problem with there are graphic glitches. Now, maybe these are a problem with the main file I was using. I don't know. There's multiple ROMs out there. It could very well be a problem with just the one I was using. But I like the idea that you've got this little ship and it's got two guns. So you get two fisting. That's kind of cool. And there are these doors in each room. The bad guys come floating in. You got that central core thing expanding in the middle or whatever, that blob in the middle of each room. You shoot all the bad guys. And then you look at the maze on the top. There's like, like a little map. And you decide, well, which way do I want to go next to try to get to that center? Ideally, as fast as possible. The doors start by having red beams flashing back and forth between them. So you sort of have to open a door by blowing it up. So you shoot at the door and it destroys the red beams. But then the red beams slowly come back. Now, the door is still open. It just doesn't look like it's open anymore. So there's actually a line there that will not kill you, but it looks like it does. And so for the longest time, I would accidentally shoot out doors. They would seem to grow back. You can't shoot them again once that happens because they're not really there. It's just a graphical glitch. But then I would be taking these long routes through the maze because I didn't know that that door isn't open. It's just there. So a couple of things happened that way that kind of bothered me. I found there was a... There's a real difference in the quality of the graphics of this game, for instance, if you compare it against Major Havoc, Laxwick's game. Lots of detail, vibrant use of color, and great character use, where you've got your little Major Havoc guy, and the way he runs is kind of realistic, and he, the way he crosses arms and taps his foot is kind of funny when you're waiting too long. Here, it's, it's like Omega Race, where it's kind of fun, and it's 
okay graphics, but a bit, bit of a letdown when you're coming off something like Major Havoc. I was too busy sucking at this game to really notice those problems. <laughs> hey, don't get me wrong. I suck at this game, too. Maybe I'm just making excuses. I like the fact that, okay, like you, I do have a few problems with it, but they didn't bother me, it sounds like, as much as they bothered you. When you drop the quarter and you, you hit the player one button and you start, your ship's at the bottom of the screen, there's this weird little spiderweb or diamond structure at the top, and I'm thinking, oh, okay, it's a shoot 'em up like Galaga or something like that, and nope, you fly right into one of those, and then you're in this cramped little room. The room felt very, very small, and it was hard to maneuver in, and I died a whole lot, because if you touch anything in there, you're dead. And that was frustrating for me, but it also built a sense of urgency. As I made my way through it, and the speed of the little objects coming at me picked up, and the expansion of the core sped up, it sort of helped to build that sense of dread, or I could start feeling the adrenaline pumping, and I actually really enjoyed that. Now, what I didn't like about the game was all about me. I have a... I have a limit on how many buttons and sticks I can manage at one time. And this is the problem that I have with games like Defender and Asteroids, where if you stick me with a thrust button and I have to manage that as well as shooting and shields and and the stuff on the screen, I'm going to do terrible at it. Not the fault of the designers or anybody else's. I just don't have the, I don't know, multitasking ability to manage those extra few things as well. And so... My tactic and the reason I didn't do well is I would just I would not move. I would stay right where I was and try and shoot everything that came at me and then maneuver around before the core expanded, which works well at first, but as they speed up becomes very, very difficult. Like you, I was very confused about the door exit thing. I shot out doors and they would come back, but I could go through them and sometimes I wouldn't shoot a door and I could still get through it, or I would shoot out a door and I wouldn't get through it. I don't know if those were bugs or what the problem was, but my frustrations, like I said, were all about like managing thrust. And the, the difference in the physics in this game, as opposed to, say, Asteroids, is when you hit the thrust button in Asteroids and you speed up, it's more realistic, like real space, where you continue at that momentum until you thrust in a different direction. Where this one, you thrust, 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 and as soon as you stop doing it, you kind of glide to a very quick halt, and suddenly everything is on top of you. Thank goodness, though, you stop on this one, because otherwise you die right away. Right. You, like you mentioned, if you touch anything, you blow up. Right. There's very little room at all to move around in the mazes, and it feels cramped, and I kind of like that. I like the fact that that helped it feel difficult for me, and, and I, I know I tend to complain about Game design, poor game design making things difficult, but I I really didn't feel like that to me this time. It felt like this is hard because I suck at it. And if I'm going to get better at this game, I need to figure out how to manage the thrust and the shield as well as maneuvering the ship while I'm firing these things are coming at me. If I were in an arcade, it would have gotten two or three quarters for me and that would have been it just because there are easier games that I'm better at. But because the quarters are free and, you know, I've committed to playing this game for a week, I can continue to play it and get frustrated and angry at it and go, well, you know, if I keep working at it, maybe I, I have the, the feeling that unlike with Ghosts and Goblins, where it just felt hard from the start, and I felt that I was never going to get any better at it, especially having to go all the way back to a beginning point when I was killed. This felt like if I could get better at playing at it, I would enjoy the game more. Unlike Ghosts and Goblins here, when you die, you just start again in the same room you're in. Like, you don't lose any progress at all, which is great. I don't like that when you... Like, you mentioned, like, when you start, it's like your ship, and you fly into what you later turn out to be a, a 
uh, that maze on the top is a is a space station. So you go up to like the top right corner, and I guess you're supposed to be like docking there, but it clearly is. You just crash into the space station. It goes up, and you hear this like. Okay, so I'm dead. Oh, I'm not dead. That's just how I entered the game. Little things like that I found a little sloppy. But that said, I'm coming off more negative than I am. Like, I actually enjoyed the gameplay. It's very frantic. I think it's a good use of spinner. Like, I like a game that you're using the spinner and you really can feel like you're controlling your ship. Like, when you turn, it turns. There's no lag there. Like, I felt for the rotating part, I was really in control. It also lets you fire a whole bunch. It is not stingy with the firing. If you want to just lay on that button, it'll send tons of stuff off. Plus, it's really fun because it you can spin so fast and you can fire so fast. You can spin and fire like crazy and pretend you're in Last Starfighter and you're doing the Death Blossom thing. <laughs> so that is super fun. That alone makes the game worth playing. Totally but awesome. But I, yep. I did find I had the same trouble as you when I'm given the thrust and fire and shield at any time i will stop using one of those buttons for a while right for me it was usually i would forget i have a shield and you need your shield in this game because you'll just get swarmed by little things you have to sort of turn on the shield to bump them away so you can get back to firing i would forget that i have it and i'd bang into walls or bang into enemies and then ugh, so frustrating I, I think the game did a very good job of building tension and keeping you sort of on the edge and palm sweating and, and uh, ready for the next area i really enjoyed that but like you said the problems that I had were with the little stuff that either wasn't explained or didn't make any sense or seemed to be just an outright bug. I wish the walls didn't kill you. I wish it was like Omega Race where you would bump off them. In fact, drop the shield button completely and give me bouncing walls and I would enjoy this game much more. And so I just whip around really quickly firing. You got to run. You got to bounce off things. I think it would be a more fun game and maybe I'd, I would do better at it. What bothers me about that is if you watch the attract screen, it shows like, the ghost playing the game and you can sort of see what's going on. In the attract screen, the ship bounces off the walls. It's not killed by walls. So it gets to play a version of the game you don't get to play. Now, it also shows it bouncing off that middle part, but it seems to be like as soon as it goes to hit, there's this tiny flash, like the shield comes on. So it's just like this infinitely fast, super perfect shield that they've programmed just for the attract screen. So it shows a version of the game, which is kind of the game I would prefer, where you can bounce off things. And, you know, if you touch an enemy, you should die. And if you touch one of those, like, laser doors, you should die. But I wish the walls didn't kill you. And and they don't in the attract screen. So it kept making me wish I could play that version of the game. I wish they'd made this game Omega Race. That would have made it better. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you think you'd change it to be called Omega Race sure, yeah. and make it black and white Absolutely. and hold on. It may be just that I wanted to play a different game. <laughs> the thing is, this is a great game. I actually really enjoyed playing there it. There were just a lot of little inconsistencies that kind of mm-hmm. bothered. They bothered me, but not as much as me just kind of sucking at the game, which is all about me sucking at this game. I do agree that, yeah, that my score isn't great. I would die very fast. I never escaped after destroying the, the reactor. And I did always feel, though, as much as I wish I could bounce off walls, I, I wish, I wish, I wish, blah, blah, blah. I did feel that I was dying because I would mess up. The game felt fair. While there were graphic glitches, I never felt like I was getting killed unfairly. And it is just that I, I had yet to develop the skills and the muscle memory to master the game. But I would keep playing it. I did have fun playing it. I'm going to keep playing it, and I would recommend it. Right. I, I didn't drop some quarters and just get mad and quit and blame the game designers. This game features a Motorola 68000 CPU and a Z80 as a secondary CPU, two AY8910 sound chips, and a DAC 
for the audio output. I did enjoy the sound quite a bit. The spaceship sounds were crisp and clear, and the explosions and the laser blasts, nothing ever sounded like it was muddy or... Okay, I totally disagree with you there. For me, anyway, when I heard... When when stuff was going on and there were explosions and the ships were coming at me, I never had problems differentiating them. And obviously, okay. you yeah, did. Yeah, fair point. No, no, no. You're you've convinced me I am wrong in my opinion. That was totally right. You're right. I would always know what the sound was related to, but you're just going to complain anyway. I'm going to complain anyway. We have a lack of music here, and like I want my games to. It's 1983. Like, come on. Where's where's the musical soundtrack going on in this game? And the shield sound is piercing and annoying and you play a lot of this game holding down that shield button and it's just like this constant buzz of an alarm sound and i didn't like that particular sound and i was using it a lot i thought the sound was effective in that you're right i always knew what sound was related to what and that's cool but i would have liked more pleasant sounds Maybe I'm just in a whiny mood. <laughs> Maybe so. Yeah. Wow, weird. Usually I'm the one in the whiny mood. <laughs> I actually like this game a lot, even though I sucked at it. And the thing is, I, I do like this game too, man. I'm nitpicking. I'm picking some... Maybe I'm only picking nits on this because I like the game so much. And otherwise, I would be just dismissive. Like, what would I care if it has a musical soundtrack if I don't actually want to play the game? I want to play this game. This is a fun game. Well, did you like the cabinet so much that you hated that too? <laughs> I like the cabinet a lot, actually. So the cabinet's... The shape is kind of a, a lean back shape, so it's sort of a little bit reminiscent of, say, Tempest, with that shape where it's top of it's on an angle, but it's not quite as pointy, and it has the marquee on the top comes out and is in three parts, very similar to Dragon's Lair by the same company. So I guess they're using the same sort of idea. Black cabinet. The side art is in two parts, which is weird. It's full side art. I dig that, so thumbs up for the full side art. Covers the whole thing. Weirdly, though, it's like a top graphic and a bottom graphic. I guess they couldn't print something big enough to be the whole side. And there is a gap. The graphic continues as if there isn't a gap, but it looks almost like a printing error. It's kind of weird that there's that gap in the side. But the logo, frankly, is kind of handwritten and a little amateurish. But it's nice, colorful marquee in a track graphics, so that's cool. Nice, vibrant XY monitor. Love a vector monitor. Love a color vector in particular. And nice colorful control panel with like we said it's got the three buttons thrust fire and um, shield the one i would always forget shield and uh, spinner and this is definitely a spinner game i tried playing it on keyboard and there's just no chance you have to play this game with a spinner or you're doomed what's interesting is there's a good site i found called the history of cinematronics inc well actually the site's not called that but there is a history on a site called zon.com so we'll have a link to that and it talks about why this cabinet had so few of them made. And wherever you look around, anywhere from 50 to 400, it seems to be the number that people say were made for this. Most sources say there's three or 400 of these made, and a few sources say as few as 50, which doesn't even make any sense, I think. It must have been 450. But what's interesting here is it talks about something that I hadn't really realized before, that at this point in arcade manufacture, it was essentially a seasonal business. It says 5,000 was the average run for a game due to manufacturing limitations. The game industry at the time was a seasonal business. Games would be designed and the software written mostly in the summer. Then there would be a small production run for the samples and trade shows, which took place in the fall. Assuming all went well, the distributors would place their orders shortly after the trade show, and then they would start making games as fast as they could. If the orders didn't come in, or if they're in small numbers, then the game 
game got canceled. Cosmic Chasm, one example, suffering this fate. It says there are only about 50 made, but I think there's three or 400. But I hadn't really thought of that before, that, of course, it was very trade show driven. So it would be a seasonal thing. It's not that games would come out any old time you feel like it. They would be made through the year and then displayed at the major trade shows where people would come and look at them. And I never, well, I knew that that existed. Like I knew there were the trade shows. I never really thought about how that would get you into a, a seasonal time frame for making games and why there would sometimes be very few games because they would make enough to try to generate interest. And if there was an interest, they're not going to go ahead and try to make three or four or 5,000 of them. Never really thought about that before. I wonder at this point how much of Cinematronics development efforts were already moved into uh, Laserdisc games. Every time I hear about those, I think they took a bath on them. I think the problem was those those were the things that maybe killed Cinematronics. Though I guess it was also the, the whole crash. But I never seemed to be sure whether things like Dragon's Lair actually made money. Like, everybody knew about them because it was such a new thing. I mean, everybody was aware of Dragon's Lair. But did they make enough money? Because Cinematronics goes bankrupt in 1983. So this game seems to have been manufactured and then released while it was in bankruptcy. So it came right at the end of Cinematronics. It doesn't seem that Dragon's Lair and Space Ace were profitable enough to keep this company afloat. I think the expectations obviously were a lot higher than that. Because the Laserdisc games made such a splash when they first hit the market mm. and everybody was impressed. And, oh my god, it looks so much better than these other games we've been playing. And the sound and, and this new technology with the Laserdisc itself. And see what it can do for us. And we're going to charge 50 cents a game. I think there's a lot of optimism there. So that's where their development resources went as opposed mm. to... Uh, this vector technology, which was older and broke down a lot because the screens went out all the time and just wasn't worth it for them to. And like you said, if they were in the middle of bankruptcy proceedings, then everything was on hold. That's actually a good point because by this point, vector, we talked about this last week, vector games had a real bad rep with operators that they were flaky and the monitors would die and they just almost weren't worth buying. And then of course, cinematronics goes and says, well, we're going to bring out this new laser disc thing. If you thought our old games were unreliable, <laughs> wait, wait till you see our new technology. Have we got something for you? <laughs> wait till you see this new thing. We guarantee it's going to fail. <laughs> so I guess cinematronics was just bad at betting on the right horse. The arcade version was ported over from the Vetrex by a, a four-person team consisting of Mike Gomez, Bob Skinner, David Dent, and Brooke Jarrett. Did you ever play it on the Vectrex? I've never really played Vectrex stuff much, which is really a shame. I really want to. I never had a friend growing up that had a Vectrex, and so I have one sitting in my closet that I found at a store, and I, I powered it up a couple of times, but I've never really used it. You know we're going to get a photo from Rob with all his friends that have all the Vectrexes. I'm just hanging out at my friend's house. He's got like a million Vectrexes just lying around. You're going to heck, Flack. <laughs> this, is, this is a clean podcast. So, Mike. So, Carrington. We both have not played this on a Vectrex, but we have now played it on MAME. It's time for us to bust out our <laughs> tiny little embarrassing scores. Well, you, you wiped the floor with me on this one, I think. As I said, I didn't get even to the core to blow it up and try to escape. So my pathetic little score was 4,230, which got me about three quarters of the way through the, through the maze. Well, I did get to the middle part. And I definitely recommend getting to there because it's a cool looking sort of 
spinning flower type thing is the middle reactor that you, you chip away a line at a time at. So it's actually a really fun room. The problem is I would always die trying to get my way back out. It would always blow up on me. And the best score that I ever got, which really was still in that first level, uh, was 14,440. So while I did better than you, I didn't actually do very well. Like when you look at the list of default high scores, that only puts me about halfway up the first list. Actually, I don't know that you should feel so bad about your small, pathetic little score. <laughs> and yet we're still going to call it pathetic. Okay, I'll try not to feel too bad, though. Well, sure, I still have to you know, give you that little dig there. <laughs> because the official record holder for this game only scored 124,500 points, and that was Dwayne Richard, and wasn't set until December 1st, 2005. It's still 10 times my score. It is, but this is a very difficult game, so we'll cut you a little slack. I wish I could get farther because from reading the flyer and from looking at what seems to be the goal here, you go through the maze, you blow up the reactor, and if you get out, then I guess you get a new maze. But I never got far enough to see it because whenever I would die, when that reactor would blow, it would say Mission Alpha, and it would be the same maze. So it sort of implied it was the same maze, and yet it would change. Sometimes the corridors between rooms wouldn't be there. So I don't know if... I really was on the next level and it always calls it Mission Alpha anyway. Or again, maybe it's a bug in the main ROM I have. I don't know. So I really wasn't... I'm definitely going to play this game and keep playing this game because I actually quite enjoyed it. And I'd like to see really what the second maze looks like and how much different does it get as you progress through the game. I liked it enough that I'm going to keep playing it as well. Mm. I don't expect to do a whole lot better. My focus will be trying to learn how to manage that fifth button. Or the third button, I guess. <laughs> you got that special fifth button that we don't know about. <laughs> yeah. To develop my arcade attention span, if you will, to be able to add that control to my repertoire. Ooh, fancy word. I liked the game. I had a great time playing it. There were those glitches and bugs that you whined and complained about earlier on in the show. <laughs> but they didn't bother me enough to keep me from coming back to this one. I'm with you on that. And it's a good spinner game. And I'm always looking mm -hmm. for games that you're using a different controller. And this is a very well-implemented spinner. And I really like that. So if people have a meme set up that has a spinner and you're looking for something other than Tempest, and this is a great game to throw this ROM on there. Like, it's a really fun spinner game. Well, if you're a real hobbyist with this stuff and you don't have a cabinet that has a spinner, I really think you're missing out if you don't build your own or modify whatever control that you have to include some sort of spinner function. Lots of really good games take a spinner. I think it, it's becoming a vital controller to have on a, a main setup. I, I re this game in particular, I really dig it. And the controls and parts that you need aren't that expensive. And there are videos and instructions all over the web that you can easily follow to pretty much make whatever setup you want to incorporate a spinner into your system. So Excellent. Well, um, I guess that brings us to next week's game. Obviously, the field of guesses is going to be narrowed quite a bit here since we're sticking to, to vector games for... Unless we lied. We love to lie to our listeners. There is that. There is that. I love to lie to our listeners. Or maybe I don't. Ooh. <laughs> While you listeners ponder that, I'm going to go ahead and play the sound from next week's game. And I'm going to go ahead and listen to it. Here you go. All right, Carrington, well, that brings us to the end of another No Quarter show. Oh, I'm going to miss us. Are you really? 
<laughs> yes, I can't wait for next week. I can't wait for more Vector games. That's two weeks in a row now that we've played Vector games that I have really actually dug and am going to continue playing. I played more Major Havoc this week. I'm going to play more Cosmic Chasm next week. I'm truly enjoying No Vector. Well, I can't wait for you to come back and complain about all of that. <laughs> I shall. I look forward to it, too. Bye, everybody. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast and on Twitter we are at No Quarter Show. All of those links plus the show notes are available at monsterfeet.com and like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain. Thank you.